Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And when we left the shepherds, we, we left the manger, and this all happened right at the birth of Christ. And now we fast forward anywhere from six months to two years, somewhere in that range. And we jump to the next part of the story with the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Stopping for a moment just to explain a couple elements, and we want to spend a little bit more time on this and these 12 verses here. First thing that we need to, to think about is the characters on the scene. And the first set of characters that we see are the wise men. Now, how many wise men were there? Everyone's afraid to answer. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Enough, that's right. You know, we sing a song like We Three Kings of Orient Art or something like that. But let's just, let's just clear this up right now. There probably weren't just three. That is a tradition based on the gifts that were given. There were some traditions, say, up to 12. There was actually a large contingent of people coming. They also probably weren't kings. The Bible described them as magi or wise men. Magi being the word that we get magician from or magic from. And these were wise men from the east, probably starting in Persia, and then these probably from Babylon, that area, that were considered wise men or astrologers, magicians. We saw interaction with them in the book of Daniel, as Daniel is, is talking with the magicians. And so they would study the stars and they would study what was coming and, and they were considered the, one, the ones that kings would go to for advice. And so it's that group of people that in the east, probably about 900 miles away, so a little bit away, see the stars and they see the star, rather, and they know the history of Israel because the, the people of Israel had been in exile there. And so they knew the history, they, they knew the prophecies, and they see the star and they say, wait a minute, that means something. And they do their research and they look at the books and look at the prophecies. There is a new king in Israel. There is a new king in Israel. Let's go see him. And so they get the contingent together and they get the traveling party together. No small feat. It's not like us where we just take our family and jump in the station wagon or the minivan. No station wagons anymore. But And, and, and go. But they get the, the whole group together with all the provisions that they have for, for a several month trip, if not a little bit more. And they make this trip and they come to Jerusalem finally. If you were looking for a king in Israel, you would start with Jerusalem. You would start with the capital. And, and you would go to the existing king because you figure, oh, it must be of his lineage. And um, th- so they go to Herod. Herod, we know in verse 3, was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. This was not good news to Herod. If you know anything about Herod, Herod was a man that grasped at power and held power tightly. 
In fact, we know from some of the other historians at the time that he killed one of his wives because he was paranoid about losing power. He killed at least, that we know of, two of his sons because he was paranoid that they would take over his throne. And so that's the type of man that is sitting there on his throne. The wise men come and they say, we heard there's a new king in Israel. So what's he going to do? This is not welcome news to him. This is a threat to him. And that is the setting of what is happening in this story. And so we see the wise men and they're coming to worship. And Herod starts to get all his scribes and all his wise men and says, you need to find this out. Where is he? Where is he? We need to deal with this. And they come back and, and quote Micah 5.2 and, and 2 Samuel. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then we read on. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He's trying to figure out some timing so he knows how to deal with the situation. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And the plot is laid out. The scheme is laid out. And he does this in secret, so if there's any sympathizers to a new king, if there's anyone that doesn't like his power and his authority, then they're not going to stop this. And, and he sends them on their way. He says, come and let me know so I can worship him too. The words that just make me sick to my stomach. But they do. They go. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I know there's all kinds of talk about the star. Well, how did it happen? Some have said that three planets aligned just right and it made a bright-looking star. Some have said maybe a comet. There was a supernova somewhere around that time that the Chinese have reported. But I wonder why we are so apt to just not say that God did a miracle and that God was able and there, there's evidence of that from the text. The, the star led them. And, and they took a route that wasn't a straight line, but probably went up north and then came down. And so for a star to lead them, it would have had to move through the sky at exactly the right time. It disappeared and reappeared and then comes over Bethlehem. I mean, there's so much that, that happens that we just need to say this is an act of God, an act of God's providence, that He is orchestrating everything that happens. And then we get to the verses that I want to focus on this morning. 10 and 11. What was the response of the wise men to Jesus? What was their response when they came to the house and they see the child? What was their response? Because we can learn from that. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Short verse, one we've probably glossed over. But the first response that the wise men had that we are to have to the birth of the child is joy. Is joy. And if, if you look closely at the wording there, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Like this. <laughs> Joey, is that joy? <laughs> the, the wording there in the Greek is really interesting. It, it literally is 
that they rejoiced joy great exceedingly. And it's four words all in a row that, that one word would have sufficed for. They could have said they rejoiced. But no, it's they rejoiced and it was really joyful and it was great and it was exceeding, it was extreme. They're making a point here. When, when an author, when, when the Holy Spirit inspires the same word over and over and over again, it, it's like four exclamation points at the end of your sentence in the email. This is exciting. This means something. And so these wise men who came from the East, from a pagan culture that didn't understand everything that was happening, when they found the star resting over Bethlehem and when they were coming to the king, joy was the prevalent emotion. It was huge, massive, mega, one of the word means. And contrast that with Herod. Remember Herod? What was his response? He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. This is a powerful man who's known for for being violent. And so we have the joy of the wise men. Exuberant joy. We have Herod, who in the same event is troubled and disturbed. But for us, if we're to, to take this and learn from this and ask why did God put this in His Word, one of the, the, the lessons for us is we come to the birth of the child and we should come with great joy. Huge joy. Extreme joy. This is the best day ever. Other than Easter. The two go together. But this is God's gift to us. And we should never come at this with a bah humbug. We should never, attitude, we should never come at this with, oh great, it's Christmas again. Because this is an amazing time of the year. Consumer Reports did a a survey, as they love to do, top things we dread at Christmas. Number one, can you guess number one? (laughs) I heard relatives driving, fruitcake, Number one is crowds and long lines. 68% had, of people had it on their list. Other things we dread, gaining weight, getting into debt, gift shopping, some of you mentioned shopping, traveling, seeing certain relatives. A lot of people mentioned that. Um, seasonal music, now wait a minute. That's messing, that's messing with something dear to my heart. Um, Having to be nice. (laughs) People actually answered the survey, having to be nice is one of the things they dread about the holidays. (laughs) Thank you, Joshua. There's issues with that. But we, we... the list, there's 11 things on this list that tell us we jump to what we dread so often instead of what brings us joy. Why? Why do we struggle with joy? This morning I would challenge us that it's because we focus on the wrong things. If we focus on the gift giving, if we focus on all the events, if we focus on the schedule, if we focus on the driving, then you will be depressed and you will be angry and you will be frustrated. But if we focus that the Savior is born. The Savior is born. Then our response becomes like the wise men. 
They saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. See, our joy at Christmas isn't dependent on all those other things. It's not dependent on the meal. It's not dependent on if all the relatives come over. It's not dependent on if we can actually all get along later today. It's not dependent on any of those things. Because joy says, the king is born. The king is born. Nothing else matters. And if he's king and if he's savior, he takes care of the rest. And so I can trust him. The word for joy is is the aspect of peace and trust in a God that knows what he's doing. So today, if you find yourself getting frustrated, and if you find yourself getting annoyed and wondering where the joy went, stop for a moment and ask yourself the question, did the king no longer come? Has anything changed with the Savior and the birth of the Savior? If not, then my joy should not be changing. Those times when someone says something hurtful to us, as sometimes can happen at family gatherings, become an opportunity to pray for them. Become an opportunity to say, how can I show them God's love even when they don't know Christ? Just out of of curiosity, how many of you are going to see relatives today that don't know Christ? Okay, a number of people. Can we just stop and pray for them right now? Dear Lord God, our Father, I pray that you would work in our congregation as we go to our Christmas celebrations to be joyful and to show your love to those that don't know you, that need you, that need a Savior, Lord God. I pray that you would give us strength to be kind, to show love, to be joyful, because you have been born. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an opportunity to show joy. I had, a, I had an experience of joy this yesterday. We opened our gifts yesterday, so we didn't have to worry about it this morning. And my kids got me a gift. A Dodger pillow pet. The joy was when they said that it was right next to the angel pillow pets. And they chose wisely. Sorry to our angel fans. But here's the deal. This brings happiness. This brings pleasure in life. And it, and it should. God wants us to, to have incredible happiness and be blessed with family and things. But if this is the basis of my joy, I'm in trouble. Because this will wear out and this will fade. Team may not do very well. (laughs) Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Let's read verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, And they fell down and worshipped Him. Stop there. Second response that they had to our Lord and Savior is worship. Worship. The word for worship here, and I explained this to some of the students that were here for the star lunch, the word for worship here literally means to, to fall on your face and bow before you. Okay, so I don't know if anyone saw my Facebook picture from... Um, Last night, we were reenacting this, and the kids are just on their face before, before Susie holding a baby. 
And, and I just had to take that picture. But we were trying to teach what worship means. And worship always has two aspects. It's elevating God and giving glory to God and coming under that in submission and authority. There's always the greatness of God and the lowliness of man. And, and worship should always incorporate both of those things. And, and the wise men, when they came, they fell on their face before Jesus. And their faces were on the ground. And they worshipped. And that act was an act of submission. That act was an act of glorifying who Christ was. Now, they didn't understand the whole story yet. They didn't understand that the Savior would come and die on the cross. And that was the plan. But their act of worship told far more than they know, than they knew. Contrast that again with Herod. Herod said he wanted to worship, right? Was his act of worship going to be to fall down on his face before Jesus and worship? No. In, in fact, Herod wanted to elevate himself, protect his position by bringing Jesus low and killing Jesus. The wise men made themselves low and elevated Jesus. They fell down and worshiped. He is God. We are not. And as we respond to Christmas, part of our response is worship. Worship. See, Christmas begins to lose its meaning when we elevate the wrong things. When the wrong things become the important things, the meaning of Christmas is gone. And so many times we think of it as, well, I just don't know how I can add worship, or I don't know how I can add um, something for Christ to Christmas. And we've got it backwards. Because the issue is that is Christmas. Worshiping Christ is the point of Christmas. And all of the other things are things that we add as we get time. And so today, as you go and celebrate the birth of Christ, how will you worship? How will you worship in a family setting? How will you worship as you come and eat lunch together and as you celebrate together? Because it should be celebration. It should be joy. But it should be worship. I would encourage a couple of things. Number one, every time you pray today, make it a meaningful prayer about the gift that God has given. Be intentional. Thank God for the birth of His Son. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for salvation. doesn't matter who's with you. Be willing to pray that, even if you have relatives that don't know Christ there. But we worship with, by saying there's not going to be any trite prayers today. It's going to be prayers that include worship and wonder and gratitude. Maybe read a Christmas story before you open gifts. Sing some worship songs together. What we're doing this morning, elevate Christ. But the other part of it, bring ourselves into submission. Practice gratitude today. Practice gratitude for meals, for gifts. There is nothing like gratitude to put us in our place, to combat self-centeredness. It's a, it's a simple thing, but how are we going to be grateful to others and show that we're grateful to God? So I encourage you today to worship God in your prayer, in your traditions, in your gratitude. I'd like to again just practice this right now and just allow you to respond in worship. Just say a word, a sentence, a phrase, and let's use our words to worship and elevate God. And elevate God. 
So what would you say to worship God right now? Just right where you're at. Glory. Shalom, peace. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The good shepherd. He's beautiful. The Savior is born. The Savior is born. That's worship. That's worship. Thank you. The wise men responded with joy. They responded with worship. And finally, in the last part of verse 11, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Third way they they responded is that of giving. Giving. And this isn't separate from worship. Actually, it's just a subset of worship. It was part of their worship. And they gave three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and, and I know so much in tradition has been made of the gifts and what each one stands for, but, but we, we lose the bigger picture that they were gifts that were given to a king. They were normal gifts that were given in worship to a king. The gold was highly prized. The frankincense and myrrh were used sap extracted from a tree and a bush to make perfumes. And some of the things about these gifts is they were gifts of great worth. Great worth. They were gifts that cost something and cost the wise men something. And, and in the same way, as we give to God, our gifts cost something because we're giving of ourselves. If a gift costs nothing, it's not much of a gift. The gifts, one of the other features of the gifts is they gave the best. They gave the bests, the best. It's interesting to see that they're fulfilling prophecy even as they do that because prophecy in the Old Testament said nations would come and give gifts to the king. And this is a, the bigger picture of the story is that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but he came for the entire world and nations came. In Psalm 72, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. In Isaiah 60, and nations will come to your light, which we'll light again in a minute. (laughs) Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. 
Contrast that to Herod again. The kings wanted to give gifts out of respect. Herod wanted to give death out of disrespect. Completely different motives. And so then we come to ourselves. How do we give to our king? How do we give ourselves to show people what Jesus' love was like, what his love, what his gift meant? He gave his presence to us. How do we give his presence or give the, the impact of his presence to others? Because he is still here. He indwells every believer. And he has given us the responsibility to show that to others. Challenge you today to look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to be a gift to those that you come in contact with. To view your time together differently as an opportunity to show people the love of Christ. Pray for those opportunities. You never know when they're going to come up. The other night I was working on my Christmas lights and um, I have some speakers out there and some sound that plays with them and it was late at night and I, I had just finished one of the aspects and so I I hit play and turned on the speakers and I ran out the front door. And as I go out the front door, this, this, this elderly lady in a walker was walking right by the speaker. <laughs> it's about 10.30 at night. And so from her perspective, she just sees the front door fly open, someone run out, and then the speakers turn on with the sound of, of Linus. No, actually that was, yeah, that was Linus. <laughs> Sharing the Christmas story. And, and she jumped. She, she jumped really far. <laughs> I felt really bad. <laughs> so I went out, and we ended up talking for 45 minutes. And she shared her story and her life, and I had an opportunity to share why I do the lights, that I do this because Jesus loves us. He gave His Son the gift. Didn't go anywhere beyond that. But it was an opportunity that was very unexpected. Maybe more so for her. (laughs) But how are we going to be a gift? Are we going to take advantage of those opportunities? Lord God, our Father, we are joyful today, exceedingly and with great joy because of your gift. We bow down and worship you and adore you. Lord, and we give ourselves to You for Your purposes to shine Your light to everyone we come in contact with. May that be what Christmas is about today. Thank You, Lord. We praise You. We owe our lives to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.